Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Birth Stories with me, Clemmie Hooper, created by Offscript. I know that Esme, my firstborn, was conceived on Valentine's night, 2013. I know that for fact. So then Papa B, my other half, would say we were trying. (laughs) But in my mind, she wasn't planned. I just remember thinking first and foremost, oh my God, I can't afford this right now. That was my first thought. It's like, no way. Pregnancy with Esme was amazing, really amazing. I was 25, 26, the fittest I'd ever been. Um, I was quite queasy the first three months, but after that, it was plain sailing. And I remember I was still jogging 20 miles a week up until 38 weeks. Dead slow, but still out there and people looking at me like I was crazy. But yeah, it was super simple. Hello, I'm Clemmie Hooper and welcome to Birth Stories, a podcast where I talk to amazing women about the fascinating and unique ways they had their babies. Just a quick note, we'll be talking about childbirth in a lot of detail, so you may not want to listen to this podcast around young children. My guest today is presenter, writer and activist Candice Brathwaite. Candice is the founder of Make Motherhood Diverse, a campaign that aims to encourage a more diverse representation of motherhood in the media. Candice, thanks so much for coming in. No problem. So lovely to have you here. We open the podcast talking about that that first feeling when you found out you were pregnant that was that I can't afford this baby. How did that kind of manifest into going, but we're going to do it, we're going to get on with this and manage that manifested by my mum um like she's got this saying it's it's really basic she's like your life can change in 24 hours and basically don't make a permanent decision on on circumstances that are forever changing and I was just like you know what she's so right and it being pregnant the first time made me see my parents with parent eyes and I just went oh my god they never knew what they were doing I was like, I came into their world and they were just winging it all the time. And now through parenting my own, I always laugh at myself because I'm like, we always have no idea what we're doing. There are times when money is tight. There are times when there's more money, but they're still here. And like anyone, you wouldn't trade them for anything. And now she Did you um, do any research into like birth and your choices? Did you do antenatal classes? How did you educate yourself in your first pregnancy? No antenatal classes, just because it's so funny. On the way here, someone invited me to like a high school reunion and I literally vomited in my mouth. Like I don't do those things. I don't do group activity. Organised fun? (laughs) Not on it. (laughs) And so I didn't do that, but I read a lot and I was very... Um, in my mind, I was really against C-section. Mm-hmm. I'd never been in hospital. It just sounded so brutal. You'd never been in hospital before? No. And it just, 
every time I read about a C-section, it was always surrounded by an emergency or something really traumatic. And I was like, no, my body knows what it's doing. And my mum's got three children. She's had C-sections with all. And my nan um, had natural births with both of hers. And I know it's really weird. My body type favours my nan's. So Uh I was like, oh, look at her body type. Yeah, I got this. I got this. Yeah. So I didn't even read up about C-sections. I was like, it's not even on my mind. Yeah. I was like, water birth, crystals, incense, mother nature, all of that jazz. I will say, though, that material for mothers of colour, for black mothers, is really thin on the ground. Really? So, like, a lot of books I got speaking about the black birthing experience, which can be different for various reasons, all came from the US. Mm. And it just felt so different. And then I read stuff, like, by Ina Mae Gaskin. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, yeah, I can do this. Like mother africa is me i've got this so i was heavily invested and i was all up in them comment threads which you shouldn't be (laughs) and i yeah i fell down that rabbit hole i think i over investigated did you find you were quite open or did you shut down areas you're like i'm not going there shut down yeah i was like that is not my portion it's not happening i had my partner's nigerian and i had his mum doing all night prayer sessions i was like no we rebuked that I can't do so i didn't even look for it and that in itself that's that's quite bad as mm. well i if i could go back i would just be more open to anything happening not so much the worst and not so much the best but just having this middle ground did you um, have, so during your pregnancy, did you have the same midwife or did you see different midwives each appointment? Oh, different midwives. Oh, I think you? I had four in total that were on this weird rotation. And um, I didn't like my antenatal appointments. Why? I didn't like the hospital. I felt really overwhelmed from really early on. I felt no one was listening. So the first time I went to the doctor to announce I was pregnant, as he was filling out some forms, he was like, single mum, yes? Like, that was just the question. No. I, I I didn't even get to, like, offer up my relationship status. That was just his assumption. And so tiny things like that kept happening. And I was like, I really don't like this. And I think there were a couple of times my midwives had to, like, run me down. Because they were like, yeah, you've missed two appointments. And I'm like, yeah, I'm counting kicks. I'm fine. I'm fine. I I just wanted to be as far away from, like, the medical side of things as possible. Um, my my dad died in hospital. My mum got sicker in hospital. Hospital and I don't gel well in my mind. Mm-hmm. And that meant that there were times when my antenatal clear, I neglected it because I was like, I, I, I don't want to go today. Did you ever tell your midwives that's why you... Oh, had... no. No. No, no, no. There's this... Also, being a black mum especially, there's this, there's this pride element. Right. It's like, oh, no, we don't complain about pain or... Or feeling, you know, uneasy in our minds. You've mm. got to have this. And I was like, I'm not going to say anything about that. Did you ever consider a home birth? Yes. It was going to be, in my mind, a home birth with a water pool that we'd rented and all of that. I had my mum, like, stocking up on old towels. It That's what my heart was set on. Um, Bode, on the other hand, Papa B, he was not set on that. Really? He was like, no, we need to be where, like, medical intervention is. Interesting. The closer to hospital, the better. Yeah. So you knew at what point that this home birth idea may not be happening? At what point in your pregnancy did you think, I've got a feeling I'm going to have to go to hospital? 
I was 38 weeks and I went to an appointment at hospital and I saw a midwife I'd never seen before an old black lady she's got to be in her 60s same height as me Guyanese very strong um, Caribbean accent and the moment I saw her I just felt my shoulders relax I was like I'm looking at my nan I'm looking at an aunt this is a safe space yeah and I hop up on hop <laughs> I struggle up onto the <laughs> table and she goes yes this is a c-section and I was just like you what? Has she palpated your tummy? Has yeah. She's feeling the baby. She was like, "This is." She was like, "You're 38 weeks. Uh-huh. I'm looking at your frame. The head's not engaged, and I was suffering with really um, crazy stomach pain. Like right up until the moment I had Esme, it felt like Esme could outstretch her entire body in my stomach. Wow. Be- she's not engaged. Like she's not rooted to one spot she's just doing her thing yeah and this midwife is like I've done this for many years like this is a c-section and she said what annoys me is that they're gonna take you to the very edge of this Mm. and she was like I can tell you now this child ain't coming out by itself how tall are you Candice four eleven and a half I love the half like barely five feet and how tall is Papa B six one I mean, I, I've I've seen you stood together. I mean, it's you know, like, and my kids take after him. Yeah, they're tall. Yeah, so I'm this tiny body having these really big kids. But I was mortified when she said that. I left in tears. Mortified because you felt like someone had told you something that obviously you didn't want, or mortified that you felt like no one else had told you this. Both, really both and her frankness and just the knowingness in her tone of voice i i've hung on to that forever because she just she she just had a way about her did you trust her yeah i did and that's where my sadness came in because i was like i i really do trust her and i kind of believe that that's what it's gonna be and then a tiny slither of me still held on to the home birth so when was the decision made for induction? Did they get did you get past your estimated due date? Past that. I was almost I was like forty one plus five. Yeah. No show, no head engaged. Really? Like the head still wasn't engaged. Esme is like, no, bruv. And they still wanted to induce you. Yeah. So it was a couple of sweeps, then admission for like the tampon thing. Um, so those of you who are listening and don't know, um, the pessary is the hormone pessary which they give yeah. you to soften the cervix. Yeah. And it does actually look exactly like a tampon. <laughs> it's like a very flat piece of um, cardboard wrapped in cotton, but it has the string like the tampon. Yeah. And that's really uh, a unique experience because you're surrounded by women who are like giving birth. You can hear these noises. Yeah, on the antenatal ward. And then I'm getting frustrated because my body's not working or that's how I'm talking to myself in my head. I'm like, all of these women are going for it. And I'm like, why is this child so stubborn? I'm furious. And I think I was in there for three days. And then one morning, um, Papa B went um, back home to have a shower. And the minute he leaves, this this guy comes into the cubicle and is like, we're going to break your waters now. So this is the obstetrician? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm by myself like he just left why Mm. would you do that and like it was very like no no we're gonna do it now how many pessaries had you had I think two two I think two and like nothing yeah just nothing so they're like yeah we're gonna we're we're going in and I just remember that like Captain Hook type needle 
coming towards me and I'm like, where are you putting? (laughs) And I'm by myself and I'm really scared. And then you just feel this pull and this pressure and this, this water just comes cascading out. And from that moment, that water doesn't stop. It's just... Did her head engage at that point, do you know? No. No. So soon after that, I was put on a drip to, like, get contractions So you then went from having your waters broken and then, like, a couple of hours, they then started the syntocin on drip. Yeah. So that's the hormone drip, the synthetic drip that they put in your hand. That drip, I've never felt pain like that in my life. Did you have any pain relief offered you at this point? I, later on in the day, I had uh, three epidurals and all three of them failed. Oh, no. Yeah. Do you know why they didn't work? Did they, they had to recite them, basically? Yeah. And then the oh. the last one, it just kind of went in at this funny angle. And I remember, it, it actually kind of brings me to tears because I remember them telling me, like, unfortunately, you're just going to have to bear this pain because the epidural's not going in. And because of where it is, it's such a sensitive space. We mm. don't want to play down there. Like Three attempts is, like, maximum. And I was like, but the pain on this drip, my word. And I remember, like, my nan still has a scar where I bit a chunk out of her arm because the pain was just sending me delirious. And at this point, you cannot get up, you cannot eat. So, you know, I can't walk around, I'm starving, I'm in pain, I'm watching, I'm shouting at people to leave the room because they're eating in front of me. Oh, God. (laughs) So all your intuitive things as a woman in labour is to stay mobile, stay active, keep your pelvis open, (laughs) eat and drink, you know, hydration, sugar, all those things. Taken away from you. You need to be on the bed, you're told that you need to be on the monitor because obviously they're using a drip. Yeah. Did you have a good rapport with your midwife for this part of your labour? So the midwife that was then at this point was lovely. She was lovely. And she kept reiterating, because I don't know how you guys do it, but she was able to track like how intense these contractions were. And she was like, you're doing really, really well. Like Mm. this pain is just above normal. And so every time it can, and everyone could see the monitor and learn how to read when a surge or a contraction was coming. Yeah. And so like my nan would just gather around and be like, it's fine. I can see it because they could see it before. And then I just, I'd be mid sentence like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's great. Oh my, literally. And then it would disappear. And, you know, you'd have like five minutes to get your breath back in. And that went on for 12 hours. 12 hours from the hormone drip starting. Yeah. yeah. At any point in your labour, Candice, did you think, I want a C-section? Or did you say, I want a C-section? Did you think, why isn't anyone offering me a C-section? I thought it before I said it. Because as these hours are going on and they keep coming to check how dilated I am, and it's, it's one centimetre all the time. So the progress was slow. And I'm like, so all of this pain, for you know, for nothing. And I, in my mind, I'm like, a miracle's going to happen any minute now. But in my even my mum, I could hear her talking to people. She was like, surely you're just going to offer a C-section at mm. some point. How long do you expect this to go on for? And um, I, I broke, at, I think, the 14th hour when they came in and they were like, right, we're going to keep you on for another 10. I was like, no, you're not. Do you know how many centimetres you were at that point? One and a half. And you'd really... Oh, gosh. I I couldn't eat. 
I can by mm. at, by this point I had sworn at everyone and said <laughs> if I don't get a fucking Lucas Aid right now yeah. I'm ripping all this shit out and going home. <laughs> So I chug this Lucasade, but on an empty stomach. Of course, it just you just puke. Oh god! And I was delirious. I was sweating. I was. I was like, I call time on this. I yeah. cannot go on. Were you ever thinking about what that midwife who saw you at thirty-eight weeks in clinic said to you? Was do you think that was always in the back of your mind? Always, really, always. And I, I think I even referenced her when I was being like rushed down to surgery. Really, I think I turned to Papa B and I, I was crying by that point, and I was like, "She was right. She was right." I'm just like, "Oh my god, why did I go through all of that?" When they were taking you to theatre, so presumably Esme wasn't in any distress. It was just no, none that you weren't progressing. Yeah, your cervix yeah. wasn't dilating. When you were going to theatre, how did you feel? Did you feel relief? Did you feel fear? Did you think that, God, this will just be over? Absolute fear because Esme is born on the day my dad died. So there is just some emotional energy around that day. Mm-hmm. And I just I just kept um, linking the whole thing to me dying. And I just kept looking at... I kept saying, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. Because I've never felt that coldness that comes over you when you go down to surgery. I'd never felt that. It literally felt like a morgue. Everything is so sterile, so metal. And I'm I'm obsessed with death. Everyone knows, like, I'm the most morbid person. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is a morgue. This is where you go to die. Like, it's just so cold and uninviting. And as we're going down, one guy who's going to operate on me goes, let's hurry this one up. I should have been home an hour ago. Again. That's another thing you just put in your pocket and you you never get rid of it. Because I'll go into what happened after, after. But you you just end up tying those things together. I'm like, right, so you were in a rush. I'm being spoken about as being another one, you know. You're not human. Yeah, you're just it's a all number. very meat factory-ish. Mm. Um, yeah, I was petrified. So presumably um, at that point your epidural is then changed to what we'd do, a spinal? Yeah. Yes. And then did that work? That worked. <laughs> Finally. That worked so well, but that's scary in itself. Right. I'm just like, oh my God, I'm alive, but I can't feel anything. <laughs> so you're basically, with an epidural, you're numb, but you can still move, you yeah. can still feel a bit. Yeah. The idea is that it, um, you don't feel the pain of a contraction, but you can still feel your uterus tightening and you can still feel enough to push. Yeah. With the spinal block... Nah. Nothing. If someone gave you a million pounds, you couldn't even wiggle your toe. Not a thing. To the point, like, when they're cutting in, you don't even... I'm like, eh, okay, don't know that. So was Papa be allowed in theatre with you? Yeah. Obviously your mum and Nan could He's right next to me. And he held his stuff really well because he hates blood. He hates all of that stuff. Mm. When he came into that space, Mm -hmm. I just visibly relaxed. You don't know anyone. You're just so afraid. And there was your safe space. Literally. There was the man you loved and you were having his baby. Yeah. I'm like, I actually really love you. Oh. Don't let me die. Like, focus on everything. Make sure they don't swap the kid. Like, <laughs> do your job. And just to see that emotion, it's just so raw at that moment. Mm. Um, Did they lower the drape when they lifted her up? No. So they held her up? Yeah. And did she cry straight away? She cried straight away. What straight did you away. feel when you saw her? Just this... It just felt so weird. 
you imagine this little face all the time. She had way less hair than I predicted for uh-huh. that heartburn. I was like, <laughs> you are really bald and I want a refund because black babies are meant to come out with like the biggest afro. And she came out with like these three grandpa strands. And no I was like, way. what is that? What is that? And she was really, really pale, which black babies are when they're born but she was really pale and she was a lot smaller than i figured she came out six and a half pounds okay and i was just like wow it's game time you are Earthside. so normally on this podcast we kind of end the story when the baby's out <laughs> but fast forward you're on the postnatal ward yeah. and everything's fine and you're discharged home yeah, gone home the pain is wow mind-blowingly horrific mm. and for someone who at that point in my life was very mobile very active yeah to, to be running to be so like stunted that just felt really hard i couldn't even take the stairs i was just like wow this is the hardest thing i've ever done by the third day though my uh, c-section incision just feels quite lumpy and i'm sweating through to the to the absolute mattress every night. I mean, you pull back those sheets, you tap the mattress, water springing back at you. Midwives are coming in and everyone's like, this is also normal. The scar will, the incision will level out. You know, you're just sweating because your body's trying to get back to normal. It's all fine. I'm also now feeling though quite, I wouldn't use the word dizzy, but I just felt weird. In what way? Like I'm in another realm. Like, like a bit disconnected. Yeah, I'm having these conversations, but I'm I'm floating almost all the time. I'm just like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I look back, I'm just not quite myself. Did anyone notice that in your family? No, because everyone's knackered. Yeah, of course. I kept it to myself. I was like, I'm I'm really tired. It's fine. Esme's latch was really really bad. Mm. I brought in formula like really early and I say that on this podcast just so no one feels shame you do what you need to do that oh yeah there's no shame on this podcast you know I was like you do that and later on down the line I was really grateful for that decision and then on the fourth night I've fallen asleep with her on my chest you shouldn't Mm -hmm. do that but I'm just so tired then the grossest smell wakes me up And I was like, wow, I know they say baby shit smells, but this smell, I'm heaving. And I'm Mm. trying to hold my stomach because my stomach's in pain, but I'm like, I'm going to vomit. This is gross. Papa B wakes up and he's like, right, let me change her nappy. You sort a bottle out. As I'm going down the stairs, we both scream at the same time. He's checked her nappy. It's clean. And I've just felt like slime run down to my knee. And Without even looking, I think we both understood the smell was me. Right. And then I open his tracksuit bottoms and there's just green and black pus running down Mm. my knees. And even though it was scary, I remember like giggling to myself because I was like, "Eh, they'll believe me now. Well, who do you mean by they? Like midwives, the hospital. Because I knew, you know, I was like... Yeah, I know I'm a new mum and I've never felt these feelings before, but I feel pretty gross. These things just, I'm feeling worse, not better. Even my mum is like, no, by day three, four, you should start to feel better. No, I'm feeling worse. I'm walking slower than day one. Something's not right. And when I saw that, I was like, bullseye. Blue lit back to hospital, I'm just thinking, oh, yeah, you know, a little infection. No, I'm I'm going septic really quickly. 
and my dad died of sepsis so now i'm just i'm really scared candice when you got to the hospital and um presumably they took you back to the labor ward the same hospital where you'd yeah. had esme and you told them what had happened and obviously they could then assess your your scar the midwife or obstetrician did they say, yeah, you've, this is sepsis, yes. this is really, and the, really serious? I was, in my mind, I was like, okay, give me some antibiotics and let me get back to my baby. And Where they, was Esme? With Papa B, still at, at home. home, yeah. So you went to hospital with your mum? I went by myself initially and then my nan caught us up. Uh-huh. And it was like 2am-ish in the morning. So I'm surprised people are even around. <laughs> But um, twenty four hours labour ward <laughs> has to be. <laughs> but the lady was um, and I I think I think she was an obstetrician. She was very strict, brutal in fact. Because I was like, no tablets, get me out of here. She was like, if we do not operate on you right now, you do not see your daughter in the morning, and not for reasons that you want to go into. She was mm. like, you're at a point where your vital organs will start shutting down soon, like. It wasn't even up for discussion. No. She just came in like that angry mum who was like, we go now. Did you need someone like that? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, mean, I would have gone home and died. I know that for a fact. Because as a mum with such a new baby, that's all you're thinking about. Of course. I'm like, no, my baby. Who's going to feed my baby? Like, no one knows my baby like I do. What do you mean? And in that moment, it was her reiterating, no, you stay alive now to see her later. You don't get to do both. And I was just like, wow. Wow. Hmm. So they took you back to theatre and they presumably opened up the scar. Yeah, and they took out 330 mil. And I know that because um, she referred, afterwards she referred to a Supermalt bottle and I love Supermalt. She was like, it was 330 mil of infected pus. And then it was straight into like IV antibiotics. Mm -hmm. And I was put in what felt like a safe room because there were like hazard signs everywhere and anyone who came in had to wear a mask and I had seven tubes coming out of my stomach like draining stuff did you and then all these tubes in my hand and I had to be bed bathed for a while and it I remember um there being a slight argument about coming if Esme could come to see me and like people at the hospital were like no we don't really think that's safe and I'm like god I I felt like an alien that had this virus that was just transmitted by being and like no one could get too close to me I was just like and and finally they let Esme see me and they put like a tiny mask on her face and just like lifted her up from her car seat I wasn't even able to touch her really and Papa B was livid he was livid he was livid he was like but you didn't listen to her she kept telling she kept saying she didn't feel right how long were you in hospital for just shy of five weeks because I just wasn't getting better I got really bad flu after that and then like it became this running thing of like, am I going home today? And just, you know, not even no knows these hush whispers. <laughs> like, I was just like, get me out of Alcatraz. Like, I don't want to be here. And I remember the first day I got to shower myself, I had a little cry because I'm 25 years old. I didn't foresee having to have bed baths. No. 
Was Esme allowed to be with you for those five weeks or no. was she just brought in by Papa B? She was brought in by Papa B. By this time, Papa B's had to go back to work. Yeah, of course. He's back at work. Two weeks off or something. And now Esme is in full-time care of my mum and my stepdad. Right. And that was hard to handle. I knew they'd be great. They were great. Uh, but by the time I got back home, Esme didn't know who I was. And that was tough. She would literally just scream because she had no... yeah. That was hard to do. And presumably she was then completely bottle fed. Yep. Yep. In her own little routine of sorts. Like my mum knew more about her than I did. How did that make you feel? Furious. Furious. And in a lot of ways now, I think Esme and I, we still compensate for that gap in time. It seems so unfair that you were robbed of those first five weeks with Esme. And what you've described is that no one listened to you yeah. when you said, I don't feel well to the midwives who are coming and seeing you. Something's not right. Yeah. Now, the Embrace report that black women are five times more likely to die in childbirth than white women in the UK. Yeah. That is what the report has said. I don't know a single <laughs> woman mother who I've discussed this with who can even comprehend what this means. I talk about it with colleagues. We talk about it on our Labour Ward forum meetings. I talked about it yesterday to a midwife. How did this report, when you first heard of the findings, make you feel? Exactly the same as when the slime ran down my legs. I was like, bullseye. Because we we knew, the black community knows, black women, we often joke that you're only like three women away from a woman who has died or has been really to the brink of the most traumatic experience. We all know someone or we know someone, I know two women who their children died um, within the first 28 days. And I only recently got data for that, but black um, babies are 50% more likely to die in the first 28 days also. And so it just becomes this like, It's just our little secret and you hope that one day it becomes exposed so you can perhaps get help. But when that data dropped, I was like, whoo, now we can get this show on the road. Because I didn't, before having Esme, you wouldn't know when you're not a mum, these things don't matter to you. So you wouldn't investigate that. And after having her, it just became story after story where a friend or a friend of a friend doesn't want to impact your experience by sharing theirs. But now yours has been rubbish. The gates are open. And I'm just like, this is happening more often than we could ever imagine. And where the UK, you know, when America sneezes, we catch a cold. And it's been spoken about in the US for ages. Mm. And I know that the experience of Beyonce and Serena Williams has helped elevate that conversation. But whenever I mention it in passing in the UK, people are like, you've got to be talking about a developing country. No, I'm like, no, no, no. This is happening right now. And I've spoken with journalists who have tried to speak to hospitals and this this made me check myself. I didn't complain after Esme. I didn't have the emotional wherewithal. I was exhausted. I was going to ask you what was there a debrief? Was there a letter? Was there any opportunity for you and your medical team to sit down and talk about what happened to you? I wouldn't call it a debrief. There was like lots of people in a room just apologising and Mm. uh, Papa B saying we'll take it further and he hounded me for maybe two and a half years after that to take it further. I just was like, I'm not going there. I've only just started to unpack that trauma. I'm Mm. not doing it. But after speaking to journalists who have tried to get um, 
details from hospitals, they're not obliged to reveal it because they don't have enough complaints. So there are many women like formal me, complaints, formal complaints, specifically black mm. women who these things are happening to and they're just not going back. Reasons that I understand now, but God, if I could go back in time, I would tell the whole world because how different it would have been if, you know, I'd just been run back to hospital, I guess. How do you feel now with the statistics we have, the information that you're being told from black women, how do you feel that we as a society, you, me, whoever's listening, what can we do? What is being done now that you know of that is going to change? <sighs> Aside from what uh, the response, because we did have a petition go out and there was a response that came back that I just thought, really? So aside from that, I think what I've noticed is more peer-to-peer care. I've got mums in my DMs who are literally saying, right, I'm going to be at this hospital at this time. If anyone's got an antenatal appointment, specifically black women who are going in alone and need someone to come in and advocate for them or just sit in the corner and take notes, I'm that person. And that's so, so powerful because we black women, we're now at it's 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 a red phase for us and I think we've gone too far to just depend on the NHS to save us this is a group activity and it's as simple as even if you have no black friends in your friendship group raising this conversation at dinner or at lunch so that it's just there it's in the psyche of people it's in their consciousness so whenever they have a chance where they can step in or they can see that a black woman feels uncomfortable during her pregnancy or in a doctor's office they can be like you know I don't want to overstep the mark but do you need help do you need support and this is where you really get to exercise if you are white privilege like go forth and save and it doesn't have to be on this grand scale it's simply just using the fact that whether we like it or not purely because of the color of your skin people are going to take you more seriously white people have to be honest about the privilege they've had since the dawn of time and now go and use that like a cape yeah Each episode, my guests and I take a question and see if we can answer it. Candice, you ready to hear this one? <laughs> yeah. I'd like to know about post-birth debriefs. Do you think they should be a part of the process? I had a very traumatic birth and at the time I didn't realise it as it was my first. My memory of it all is hazy at times. I've never got pregnant since and feel if I did, I wouldn't be able to deal with giving birth again because it was that bad. I appreciate that midwives are very pressed for time, but for my mental health, a professional talking me through it all, which have benefited me greatly. And that's from someone called Kelly. There's a lot to unpick there. Yeah. First of all, a birth debrief for anyone that's listening is where um, you would ideally go back to the hospital you had your baby and you would discuss with a consultant, midwife, or an obstetrician with your hospital notes, because that's really important. They have your notes there and actually go through what happened. And she says that her memory is quite hazy at times, which is very normal. And I know you've got patches yeah. of haziness from your experience. So um, by going through your notes, you can see exactly, oh, that happened because of that. Yeah. Every NHS hospital should be able to offer a debrief. Okay. Everyone can access their hospital notes. Okay. 
I mean, it's quite interesting, actually, this question's come in and obviously we've just heard your experience, Candice. Mm. How have you kind of debriefed in your own way about what happened with your birth experience? I had another baby. Yeah. <laughs> and that that RJ wasn't planned at all. That was a shock to me. And after Esme, I'll be honest, there was this moment where we considered not having RJ because all we then knew about birth was almost dying. That's what we tied it to. Um, maybe it helps that we moved during my pregnancy, but uh, I ended up getting different maternity care with RJ. And once they'd seen my notes, I think in their own way, there was a debrief. Right. And they were just like, whatever you want, you get. And it's just, it was, RJ's birth was amazing. It was a C-section again, and I, I got to make that decision. I just couldn't be fussed with the anxiety of a VBAC. I knew C-sections now. But the difference between an emergency and elective, my word, they are they are worlds apart. I didn't know that you could have that Ina May Gaskin type experience with a medical side. Yeah. And that's what happened with RJ. It was very chilled. Everyone took my birth plan so seriously. Amazing. That having RJ has restored my faith in giving birth, especially as a black woman in the UK. It was really healing. Yeah. Yeah. I it shouldn't it, Esme's birth shouldn't have happened for that to happen. No. But I have two very different birth stories now. Thank you for your question. That came from someone called Kelly. Remember, you can send me your questions if you email birthstoriespodcast at gmail.com. Candice, thank you so much. <laughs> it has been an absolute honour listening to you talk about that. And I'm, I feel very privileged that you chose to share it on um, my podcast how can we find out more about you this is your chance to plug you've got some exciting news that I'm sure that you're going to tell us what have you got going on in your life where are you online um Instagram primarily Candice Brathwaite and I'm writing a book yeah I know so exciting um it's called I am not your baby mother but it's going to be the uh, first of its kind because there's no um, books for black mothers. And I want to add, this doesn't just mean that you should only read it if you're a black mum. Absolutely Actually, not. you should digest it if you're not because it will just give you such insight into the things we do and perhaps why we do them. I'm very, very excited, but that's available to pre-order now. And a bit more about Make Motherhood Diverse, that's Instagram. That's Instagram as well, and we're always taking submissions. And you're still doing your podcast with Papa B? I am, Pillow Talk. Oh my gosh, that podcast. Oh, and it's not as professional as Clemmie's. It's literally <laughs> just us in our bed. I love that though. I love that. <laughs> we're in bed with like this dodgy microphone, just having a laugh. Uh, it's called Pillow Talk and you can find it everywhere. But that's our podcast. So yeah. And Thank that's it. you. Thank yeah. you, Candy. me. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Birth Stories with me, Clemmie Hooper. Remember to subscribe on your favourite podcast app so that you can listen as soon as the podcast comes out each week. And please rate it and leave a review if you have time. You can find more birth stories on my blog, Gas and Air, and you can find me on Instagram at Mother of Daughters. Birth Stories was produced by Hannah Varrell 
and created by Offscript. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 